from McMinnville, Oregon. This is Crisscrossing Science, the podcast that has a baby Yoda pillow that it sleeps with every night. I'm Michael Crosser. Of course, you know Chad Tilburg. And today's title is The Mandolin. Hey, Chad. <laughs> I'm a little confused now about the <laughs> baby Yoda pillow. I thought we were talking about sounds or something today. We are, but it reminded me of the Mandalorian. And really it could do. also stand on its own because I love my baby Yoda pillow. So you do really have one, don't you? I choose not to speak on that right okay. now. Okay. Well, cool. So I understand that you have a special musical guest to bring yes, on I do. today. And I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Stephen Tufty. He's a physics professor at Lewis and Clark College up in Portland. So welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. We're talking about a musical instrument today, a mandolin. Yes. Well, first of all, so how is a mandolin different from, you know, violins or guitars or something like that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you'd say violin and guitar because it's kind of like a mixture of those two instruments. Like the violin, at least the American style mandolins have F holes and it's very similar size to the violin and it uses the same notes for the strings as the violin. Mm. But like a guitar, you pluck it instead of bow it. And so you sort of play it like a guitar with a pick usually. And so it's interestingly similar to both of those instruments. And unlike either one of them, one of the unique elements of the mandolin is that each note has two strings that are tuned to the same frequency. So it, it has doubled strings, sort of like maybe a 12-string guitar um, mm. or an oud. There are various instruments that have doubled strings, and, and the mandolin is one of them. So I actually happen to have a 12-string guitar, and on the lower strings, it's like the low E string, there's one really thick gauge string, and then there's a really thin gauge string. And so you get two different pitches for like that low E is what you're saying that in the mandolin, every single string, they're, they're both the same. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know the details of the 12 string guitar, but I do know that some of the strings are tuned at an octave. So the thinner string is actually an octave above the thicker string. And when you pluck it, you get to play them both on the mandolin. They're all tuned to the exact same note. Hmm. Okay. Now that you mentioned that, I think that was in my brain somewhere that I, I had that piece of information and I've always wondered what's the point. And so I'm guessing we're probably going to get into that today. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So what happens when you pluck a string? So when you pluck a string, you're actually plucking two strings, but maybe we should first talk about just plucking a string in general. Each string, as was mentioned in one of your previous podcasts, is capable of vibrating at a bunch of different frequencies. And if you pluck it, you'll in fact excite a bunch of them all at the same time. And it's interesting. Here, I'm going to actually get out my mandolin. In a podcast world, you can't see it, but it looks sort of like a violin, except it has this scroll, this swirl. I have the American sort of bluegrass style mandolin. And if I stick to the lowest string, I can play it. And so when I pluck it, I'm actually exciting a bunch of different frequencies. The lowest frequency is the note that you hear. But if I touch the string right in the middle, I'll prevent that lowest sound from sounding and you'll be able to hear the octave above that. So guitarists, mandolin players call that playing harmonics because you can force it to play a higher note by basically canceling the lowest frequency. And I can also play the next harmonic up 
And so when I pluck the string, I'm actually exciting all those different sounds at the same time, and your brain tends to hear it as just a single note. But I can actually change the relative amplitudes of all those different sounds by how I pluck the string. And so a good player will purposely pluck the string differently to go for different sounds. So if I plug it with the soft part of my thumb in the middle, it sounds kind of mellow, whereas if I use a pick and I pluck it near the end, I'm now exciting much more of the higher harmonics and it gives it a richer, fuller sound. So mm -hmm. that's when you pluck a string, you're actually exciting the string into many different modes of vibration all at the same time. And the way you pluck it can influence the relative amplitudes of those, which for a musician affects the timbre or the tone quality of the sound. So when you're plucking the string, you're saying that there's all these different modes of frequencies that you're able to activate to, to get excited. So why are there only a handful of specific harmonics that are actually being played? Well, it has to do with waves that can sustain them themselves on the string. And the waves that can sustain themselves on the string are the ones that kind of are in sync with themselves. Because when you pluck a string, you're creating a wave that's going back and forth and back and forth on the string. It's reflecting off both ends. And if the wave that's coming back and forth is in sync with the original wave, it'll reinforce itself and you'll have what's called a resonance. And so the ways in which the resonances of a pendulum, it, there's only one. It swings back and forth at one frequency. Whereas the resonances of a string, there's an infinite sequence of them, and they all have frequencies which are integer multiples of the lowest ones. So twice the lowest frequency, three times the lowest frequency, four times. And those are all the different resonances of the string. And those are all the different ways that waves can fit evenly on the string. And when they fit evenly on the string, the waves that are reflecting back and forth are reinforcing themselves instead of canceling themselves off. And so that's kind of what's going on physics wise. And so that's kind of what makes it sound different from like some sort of electronically generated pure tone, right? Is all those additional harmonics? Right, totally. Mm -hmm. And and so when you, what you were talking about when you were just lightly touching your finger right in the middle of that string, you weren't holding it all the way down to the fretboard, right? No, no, but you get the same note as if I was. So I'm holding the, my finger on the fretboard. And so what I'm envisioning is like when you are not touching the string at all and you just pluck that longest string, it's being held stationary at the bridge and at the neck. And so that large wave that is the entire length of the string is sort of like the dominant tone. Right. But then right. by touching it exactly in the middle, you cancel out that dominant tone and then sort of the next most dominant one is like the one where you're cutting it in half. And so when the top half of the string is sort of like vibrating on the way down, the lower half of the string is on its way up and, it, and it's sort of like vibrating on either side of your finger. Is that exactly, exactly hundred okay. percent correct. And then, so then when I touch it at the one third mark, instead of at the one half mark, now I've, I'm forcing the string to vibrate in three parts, similar to your description of the two parts. And so those are there when you just 
pluck the string untouched. And that's what gives it its extra flavor. It's like, what did you call it? The timbre or something? Exactly. The tone quality. And okay. uh, people that are trained musicians can actually hear all those notes as separate tones when you just play one note. Most of us just hear a different overall sound. When you're playing all those frequencies at the same time, it just gives the sound a certain character. And that's fine. That's kind mm -hmm. of the, the point. Okay. All right. So to recap a little bit. So the, the note you play actually depends on the length of the string. And so yeah. if you're actually pressing down all the way on the on the neck, you're actually changing the note of the string. Right. Yes. But when you're plucking it, you're actually exciting as many notes that will actually fit within that length of the string. Right, right. You're playing many different frequencies. But yeah, when you change the overall length of the string, which is what the frets are all about, to play different mm -hmm. notes, you can put your finger... So I can change the length of the string and that changes the lowest frequency that's going to sound, which is how, what our brains identify as the, as the note that we're playing. So yeah, so the length of the string determines the, the note that you hear. When, you, when your brain is confronted with this whole list of sounds, your brain will identify the note with the lowest frequency, which we call the fundamental frequency. So if I push my finger down on one of the frets to change the length of the string, I'll change the lowest tone, and that's what note your brain will identify. So, so that's playing different notes by putting my fingers on the frets. That's what you think about when you see someone playing the guitar or the right. mandolin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so any given note then, you're plucking it and you're, you are exciting the fundamental, but then also a frequency that's double that and triple that. And so it's all these integer multiples of that fundamental note. And so that's why when you did that demo with touching it just lightly in the middle, essentially you were cutting out the fundamental and really right. you were cutting out the third and the fifth and, the, and on up as well. Yeah, and in fact, this is a definitely a detail, but I'm allowing all the even multiples to sound while, I, while I'm eliminating all the odd multiples. And so mm -hmm. the, the sound has a different sound quality. It sounds more pure than if I put my finger down on the fret. So listen. Now I'm going to play the harmonic. Do you hear the harmonic sounds purer? It sounds different. Mm -hmm. Sounds different from... So, uh, yeah, when you put your finger in the middle, you eliminate all the vibrational modes that are vibrating in the middle, which turns out to be all the odd numbered ones. And so I'm selecting only the even numbered ones when I do that. And so if you go on to like the third harmonic, are you basically cutting everything out except for the multiples of three? Exactly. So uh -huh. that sound has the same pitch as but it has a very different tone quality because um, now you're hearing the third, the sixth, the ninth, the 12th, only those harmonics are sounding because the other ones are not allowed because right. the string in those other modes of vibration, the string is moving at that point, which I've prevented. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I've never thought about the harmonics in quite that way. That's interesting. So can you tell us about how these vibrations are transferred from the string to the rest of the body of the instrument and how that body of the instrument affects the quality of what we hear. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I have the rest of the body of the instrument, right? Because the string is what's doing the vibrating. And so it's a really good point. So maybe we should back up even further and talk about how sound waves are pressure waves in air. And so when something vibrates, it 
compresses the air that's right near it. And that compression of the air travels through the air to people's ears. And that's how sound works. And so it's a compression of air. It's a wave that travels through air and it's caused by vibrating objects, which are compressing the air. The string is vibrating, but it's, it's very narrow. You know, what is it? Maybe a millimeter or less across. And so when the string vibrates, it pushes on very little air and makes almost no sound. If you could string a, a guitar string between two vices in the shop, let's say two rigid objects and pluck it, you'd barely be able to hear it. Some approximation of that is like when you have an electric guitar, which is quite rigid. And if you have the amplifier off and you pluck the string, it's just not very loud. You don't hear it nearly as loudly as you would with an actual guitar. And so the idea with a guitar or any stringed instrument, in fact, is that the string is purposely rigged up to go over what's called a bridge. And the function of the bridge is to take the vibrations of the string and transfer them to something larger. So if you look inside a piano, you can see where the string goes over a bridge and it's setting this huge wooden board into vibration, the soundboard of a piano. On a guitar hmm. or a mandolin, it's the front plate that the bridge is attached to. And so when the string vibrates, it transfers those vibrations to the front plate. The front plate is much larger. So if you can get that vibrating, then you're pushing on a lot more air and it makes it a lot louder. Hmm. So right. when you say when you say the front plate, if I'm thinking about a guitar or a mandolin, I mean, is that the entire front of the body of the instrument or is it something more specific than that? No, yeah, just the entire front, let's say not including the, the neck, which is the part you, you, you're holding with your left hand to do the frets. But yeah, the entire front of the body of the guitar is the front plate. Okay, okay so, so so it's transferring that to the front plate and that would be the side of the guitar or whatever that you would see when somebody's playing. Right? Exactly. That's exactly. So I have a little demonstration of this and I'm using this little element taken from a music box, but without the box. And mm -hmm. it consists of, I don't know if you've ever looked inside of a music box, but there's a little cylinder with bumps on it. And then that rotates and the rotating cylinder pushes back little teeny tines, like the tines of a fork, but much smaller. And there's a pattern of bumps on the cylinder that sequentially plucks different tines, these little teeny metal blades, and those mm -hmm. are what makes the sound. But when it's not in a box, can you hear it? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make very much sound because the tines are so dang small. So that's sort of like the strings of a guitar or a musical instrument. So now I'm gonna try this little demonstration and then I have a guitar here. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to play the music box and you'll just have to trust me that the distance away from the microphone is gonna be the same in both cases. And I'm gonna play this little music box element by itself first. And then I'm gonna set it on the front plate of the guitar right next to the bridge. So the guitar is designed to accept the vibrations at that location. Normally those vibrations would be from the strings, but in this case, the vibrations are from this little music box. So okay. let's hear how much louder it gets. I'm gonna set it on the guitar. itself on the guitar. 
people like they like ooh and ah because it's so much louder when mm. I at attach it to the guitar and also it fills out the bass you know there's it's mm. it, it has a different tone a fuller tone quality mm. when you stick it on the guitar and it's like a, whoa that's dramatic you know it's one of those mm -hmm. things so that's actually really cool that so the bridge itself is somehow designed specifically to transfer all those vibrations into the front plate and does a pattern on the there are often holes in that piece and stuff right yeah it depends on the instrument okay. in the case of the guitar it's pretty flat the bridge is pretty flat and it's actually attached to the front plate in the case of the mandolin the bridge is not attached and it's a little bit taller than a guitar bridge. And it has little little grooves cut for the strings to fit into. The most dramatic example of a carefully designed bridge is if you look at the bridge on a violin, it's this big, tall structure and it has swirls cut out of it. And that one is designed to rock back and forth because the violin bow comes across the strings and it oh. excites the violin bow is moving the strings horizontally. And the mm. bridge of the violin is designed to rock back and forth in response to those horizontal motions of the string. And that sets the center part of the front plate vibrating. And it's probably the reason why violins have F holes, because it makes the plate less rigid right there in the middle where the violin is, which allows it to vibrate more easily. Hmm. In the case of the mandolin, I think they just stole the F holes from the violin, but they don't actually function in the same way. It just was kind of cool to have it look like a violin or something, because in the case of a guitar or a mandolin, the vertical motions of the string are much more effective at transferring vibrations to the plate because you want the plate to move back and forth. And All so, right, so you had said before F holes. And so, so in a guitar, there's just this one big circle hole. In right. The but yeah, in a violin, there are on either side of, of the strings, there are these, and I guess it's like a cursive F. I guess that's the shape. Yeah, I would have said like yeah. an S, but okay. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't really look like an F. That's a good point. I'm just so used to calling them that, but they're these long skinny holes that have a, a swirly shape with a sort of a circle on the top and a circle on the bottom. But basically, they're two long, thin holes, and that kind of frees up the center of the front plate on a violin to rock back and forth more easily than it would be able to if you didn't have those F holes. Is yeah. that the purpose of having holes in general, just so that it you're sort of weakening the front plate so that it can vibrate more? Or No, you know, the main purpose of the holes is to let the sound out from the air cavity, which we haven't talked about yet. Oh, so okay. when the front plate vibrates, it sets the air in the cavity of the instrument into vibration as well. And the oscillations of that air can be heard because you have a hole in the front plate. And so oh. there are, are mandolins that have circular holes like guitars. And then there's mandolins that have these F-hole shapes, these long, skinny violin-like holes. And it definitely changes the quality of the sound. But that has to do with setting the air inside the cavity into oscillation. And that tends to fill in the lower frequencies, the vibrational mode of the air tend to favor the lower frequencies. And so you get more bass sounds from the instrument because it has an air cavity that can also resonate. And so that makes sense then why larger stringed instruments are the more bass tones because they've got the bigger body and I guess those larger frequencies need more air. Yeah, exactly. In general, there's a connection between, uh, Michael already mentioned how the longer the string is, the lower the frequency of the mode is. So the size of 
an object determines what frequencies it's going to resonate at. And the bigger the object is, the lower the frequencies of resonance will be. And so that's why a cello or an upright bass needs to be so much bigger because you're trying to amplify lower sounds with an instrument like that. Okay. Hmm. So I, I have a random thought. So an electric guitar clearly doesn't have the body and the, that vibrational piece to it. So does that mean that in general, electric guitars, they don't have the same bass? You know, with uh, electric guitar, basically you use the electric guitar to create an electrical signal. So the string vibrates, there's a little electrical pickup that turns that vibration of the string into a little voltage. Mm -hmm. And then that voltage gets amplified and sent to a giant speaker. So you can make a lot of noise. And uh. so the acoustic quality of electric guitars is influenced somewhat by the instrument itself. People will swear by certain brands and styles of electric guitar. But a lot of the tone quality is actually coming from the hmm. amplifier and you can electrically choose to emphasize the lower sounds or you can choose to emphasize the higher sounds and they have all kinds of effects. There's knobs all over the amplifier and those are for the purpose of changing the tone quality of the sound hmm. because once it's become an electrical signal, you can have a party, you can go to town <laughs> making all kinds of changes to the tone quality by changing the electrical processing of the signal. Okay. Well, so I, but is it true that they don't sustain the note as well? Oh, in fact, electric guitars sustain the note much better. A good electric guitar will have a lot of sustain. And that's one of the reasons that rock musicians like to play electric guitars. So you play a note and you can just let it sound for a very long time. And the reason for that is with a normal guitar or with a mandolin, the energy of vibration that's in the string is getting let out, right? It's shaking the bridge, which is shaking the front plate. And the energy oh. that went into shaking the front plate was lost from the string. Interesting. And so, and so the sustain of a guitar is limited by its loudness. The louder it is, the shorter will be the sustain because there's only so much energy in the string. And as you let that out into the body of the instrument, it's leaving the, from the string. And so the sustain is determined by this energy release mechanism, which is for the purpose of making sounds, right? <laughs> you want it to shake the bridge. You want it to give its energy to the instrument so that it can produce sounds. An electric guitar is very rigid. And therefore, when the string vibrates, the, the energy of the string is being held on the string. It's not being allowed to leave. So the electric guitar has a really long sustain because it doesn't allow the energy of vibration to escape from the string. That makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. So speaking of putting energy into a string, can you tell us why have two strings? What does the two string business accomplish for an instrument like a mandolin? The first thing you might think of is that, well, if you have two strings vibrating, you have more energy. And so uh -huh. you double the amount of energy. And so you have more potential for sound. And so that's the simplest answer. But in fact, there are other implications of having more than one string. And one of them is that both strings are sounding at the same time and they're never exactly at the same frequency and they're never completely in phase. And so you get two sounds instead of one. So it produces sort of a choral effect, which is just more interesting to listen to. You've got a more complicated sound that's being created. And so I can demonstrate that hopefully because I can hold my finger on one of the strings and not allow it to vibrate. So I can play just one of the strings. So you hear that tone quality. Mm -hmm. Both. Oh, yeah. Can you hear a difference? There's yeah. kind of a choral effect. 
and it's it's a more complex sound and so it's just more interesting to listen to and then a third reason this was only discovered in the 70s for pianos is that there's an interesting thing that happens when you have two strings as they interact with each other so if you imagine if i just plucked one string then it would cause the bridge which we talked about to vibrate but the vibrations of the bridge then influence the other string so the two strings are kind of talking to each other if you want and so when the two vibrating strings are allowed to interact with each other you can get these very complicated interactions in physics textbooks it's called the coupled oscillators and many different things can happen when you do that one of them is the energy can be passed back and forth between the strings so they share the energy but they don't share it equally they hand it back and forth and so that could create sort of a wah-wah effect the other thing that tends to happen with instruments like this is the strings will tend to vibrate in an anti-correlated manner so when one is up the other one will be down you know so they'll be in opposite phases so hmm. they'll be out of sync with each other so that's another thing that tends to happen but let me just show you how what well I'm gonna, so so go ahead first of all when you said that they can share the energy i'm thinking about like maybe a swing set and let's say we got two kids sitting on a swing two separate swings and one is swinging back and forth and the other one is, is not intending to push they're just kind of sitting there Right. You're saying that what can happen is that because the swing is going back and forth, that energy is going up into the bar connecting the swings, yeah. and that can cause the other one to start swinging back and exactly. forth. Exactly. That's a great analogy. So normally swing sets are very rigid, but if you imagine the swing set, the whole thing was just setting on the ground and, and it wasn't firmly attached to the ground. Then when that first kid started swinging, the whole thing would start wobbling back and forth. And then that wobbling back and forth of the entire swing set would cause the other kid to start swinging. That's exactly what's happening because when one string vibrates, it shakes the bridge. And when that happens, it starts influencing the other string. And maybe that's why that jumped into my mind because my swing set growing up was not well planted. Uh, let's it, just say. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfect. That's, that's <laughs> a great... I, I, yeah, I am the current owner of a very wobbly swing set. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. You can try this. You can try this at home. <laughs> So, okay, yeah. so give us give us your demo here of the strings on the mandolin doing this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pluck only one string. I'm going to hold the other one fixed. And then I'm going to release the second string that never got plucked. And I'm going to wait about one second. And then I'm going to stop the first string. Okay. And what we're going to see is that the string that wasn't plucked picked up a bunch of energy from the first string when I allowed them both to be free. Can you hear that? Time I'll make a click at the moment when I stop the first one. The, the differences in volume are very small, which is kind of interesting. Huh. Um, here's another demonstration, which I hope, I hope you can hear. I'm gonna pluck both strings, okay. and then I'm gonna stop one, and it'll actually get louder. You ready for oh, that? Okay. So that's a super interesting effect, though. You can actually hear it getting louder when I stop one of the strings. Hmm. And so is that because there's like a defined amount of energy you've put into it? And then once one of them, you what, take away its ability to 
transmit that energy and so it all goes somewhere and that's to the other string is that what's happening here it's quite subtle but when you pluck both strings they're interacting with each other they'll tend to anti-correlate in their motions okay. and when they're anti-correlated in their motions they're actually pulling in opposite directions on the bridge and so oh. the force that's being exerted on the bridge is being sort of canceled out the string two is canceling out the motion of string one and string one is canceling out the force of string two and so so because they're anti-correlated, they're pulling in opposite directions on the bridge and they're canceling each other out. So you can actually get a longer sustain with two strings because they anti-correlate and the release of energy to the bridge is diminished by the anti-correlation. So then hmm. when I pluck them both, I give it a second for them to go into their anti-correlated motion. Then when I stop one, it gets louder because all of a sudden the force of string two is allowed to fully shake the bridge, which is what determines the volume. So mm. when I first measured that, you know, I actually measured the amplitudes and I saw this jump in the amplitude at the moment when I stopped one string, then I knew that the two strings in the pair would interact with each other through the bridge. So they're talking to each other. And so that led to a double decay. So when you looked at the amplitude as a function of time, it was rapidly going down and then it was more gradually going down. <laughs> It's hmm. like it took a second for the two strings to anti-correlate. And once they did, the rate at which sound was being released to the soundboard was decreased because the two strings are pulling against each other on the bridge. Oh, I see. So, okay. So when you're saying that they anti-correlate, if we go back to our swing set, this would be kid one is swinging forward and kid two is swinging backward. And exactly. then they're, they're always just opposite from each other. Exactly. And so Chad, can you set this up at home with your children? Yeah. Get one, get them exactly out of sync. And then when you do that, one will be pulling forward on the top post. The other one will be pulling backward on the top post. And the thing will just sit there because the two forces are canceling each other off. Yeah. And then when you were saying earlier that basically normally when you're plucking the string, all that energy is going into the bridge and into the body to vibrate and make sound. But you said that kills off the sound very quickly because all that energy is being led away. Exactly. And you're saying, but in this case, because they're swinging in opposite directions from each other, then one is trying to tug forward, one's trying to tug back, but that's canceling it out. So you're not really moving. Well, first of all, I would think that would make the sound a lot quieter and we can get to that. But what you're saying is that that just means that it can sustain for much, much longer. So cool. it will make the sound quieter, but longer. So if you were assigned to design a mandolin, you could think, oh, I'm going to make my mandolin the loudest mandolin in town. And when you do that, you'd want to make it very efficient for the energy in the string to transmit to the bridge and the front plate so that a lot of energy came out quickly. That's how you'd make it loud. But if you did that, you'd have really short sustains to your notes. Hmm. And so you're making a decision, you're making a trade-off when you design your mandolin for how loud is it versus how much sustain do the notes have. The louder it is, the quicker the energy escapes and the shorter the sustain of the note is. Hmm. So a mandolin, you're saying it sustains very well or it does not sustain a note very well? Because it's smaller, a smaller instrument. And so the total amount of energy you're able to put into the string isn't that great. And yet it's a pretty loud instrument. And so, yeah, it tends to have a fairly short sustain relative okay. to other instruments. The lack of sustain is what leads to the tremolo technique that people often associate with mandolins. And tremolo just means you play the note and then you go back and forth really rapidly on the same note. So that you're basically picking it over and over again. And so it's like. 
get to the note that you want to sustain, you just you shake your hand back and forth very rapidly. It's interesting for me to think about how do the physical properties of an instrument affect the playing style that people adopt, or how do the physical properties of the instrument affect the role that that instrument plays in a group? Yeah, yeah, this was interesting. Thank you, Steve. This is definitely a great topic. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about this the next times that I actually get out to see some live music. I'll be thinking about how the bridge is interacting with the front plate and what's happening with the air. So yeah. Yeah, well, great, great, yeah. This episode was recorded on the beautiful campus of Linfield University. Rodi Ortega wrote our theme music. If you like this episode or others like it, you should subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll download the latest episode as soon as it becomes available. While there, leave a comment and rating, and that'll help other people find our podcast. If you have ideas for future episodes, email us at crisscrossingsci@gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. Or hit us up on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.